Want to give yourself a nice raise that third-party payers don't? Improve your coding. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the business of medicine. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. Joining me today is Jane Tuttle, a certified coding educator and compliance specialist at Coding Education Endeavors. She has more than 20 years' experience in healthcare administration, including practice management, billing, coding, reimbursement, chart auditing, corporate compliance, and HIPAA regulations. Jane, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I think you have probably one of the most important jobs out there currently. For me, as a physician, there are many of us that kind of leave thousands of dollars on the table that we could avoid if we just kind of looked to you. Well, that's awfully nice to say. I believe and and like to think that we have a very symbiotic relationship. We really need you and support what you do as physicians. And I think that the business of coding and billing and reimbursement has gotten more and more complicated to the extent that people need to have a really high-level professional person available to help them with these things. So it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to to provide that service. I would say it's even a Byzantine world. It's more complicated than Dungeons and Dragons. Um, (laughs) And it gets harder every day, and every insurance company tries to not pay us. Right. Well, you know, I think that it's become so highly regulated. My perspective on this has always been that, you know, everybody wants a piece of the pie in terms of reimbursement for healthcare dollars. And there are only so many healthcare dollars to go around, in particular with the Medicare programs. And don't forget, commercial payers are in this for profit as well. So the dollars they want to dole out, obviously, you know, they're going to be very careful and and watch their bottom lines and try to maintain their profit line. And as a physician, everybody wants a piece of my pie, literally. And there's very little pie left to go home with, and and nobody wants to give the doctor any pity whatsoever. You know, I, I really do feel the frustrations that physicians experience around this topic, and my personal feelings about it, as well as other professional people that I deal with, are that you know, physicians really did not go into this for the reimbursement aspect. We did not sign up for this gig. Right, right. And the more complicated it gets, the more frustrating it gets, and the more it takes the pleasure out of what you do. And you certainly didn't go into medicine because you hated it, that's for sure. You know, it is an honor, and unfortunately, it's a necessary evil to help you wade through all of the complicated regulatory issues associated with getting reimbursed these days. So I have a love-hate relationship with you, Jane. Um, (laughs) I love the fact that you exist, but I hate the fact that I need you. I mean, there's something appealing about a single payer out there. I could do something and say, this is what I did. Now pay me instead of creating this crazy system we have right now. You know, I'm so on your side with this too, because I've seen it for so many years in my career that, you know, it's just not worth the amount of time, energy, and effort that physicians have to spend simply to get paid for the work they do. It is incredibly frustrating. So I definitely feel your pain. And and I agree, it should be a lot easier. And if there were ways to make it easier, boy, it would be great if we could get the ear of some high-level people who make these decisions. Unfortunately, there are many, many players involved with lots of political attachments. And, you know, it's, it's a for-profit system in our country. So it's a definitely a different playing field. Jane, let's get into some nuts and bolts. I had a staff meeting yesterday and I sat down and showed my staff where even just circling things on the super bill would turn into about $50,000 extra coming into the practice. And they were they were like amazed. They never thought of that that if it's, you know, if it's not circled that magically the money's going to come in. Yeah, I mean, that's the disconnect. 
we are not in the room with you as a physician. We don't know what services you provided. I know what's billable, but I don't know what you did. So if there's some way that you are going to be able to communicate to us as billers, coders, and reimbursement experts, it's through your super bill or otherwise known as encounter form. This is a communication tool, and I really can't overemphasize how important it is as a communication tool in your practice because it will lose you money if it's not up to date and if it's not used accurately and effectively. So even if I have the greatest coder in the world working for me, if I am basically putting garbage in, then that's what's going to go into the system. And they cannot, you know, if I am a poor communicator, meaning I don't fill out my super bill or I don't tell them, then, you know, they have no clue. Yeah, or if your super bill is not up to date and isn't easy for you to use. It's got to have good user-friendly features that allow you to circle things quickly that are the most commonly used aspects of the form. I spend a lot of time doing consulting work with physicians, helping them design tools that make sense to them. And every physician's practice is so unique. They all practice in a very different style and, you know, as their personalities are also unique, so is their practice style and their business manners. So helping them get tools that are effective, easy to use, and capture money and make sure to maintain the flow of communication between what's being done in the treatment room with the patient and what they rightfully deserve to be reimbursed for. That is so key. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today by phone is Jane Tuttle, a certified coding educator and compliance specialist with Coding Education Endeavors. Jane, if someone's sitting in the car right now listening, what would be the first thing they could do to their super bill that would translate into revenue, just the simplest thing in the world? Well, the simplest thing in the world is to make sure that it's got up-to-date codes, that outdated codes aren't on there, that updated service codes for procedures and updated ICD-9 codes, and also make sure that it's organized in a visually easy-to-follow way. One of the biggest mistakes people make with these super bills is they try to pack too much information on them because they're afraid they're going to miss something. So it's got to be organized in a way that makes sense to the physician. For example, I worked with a renal specialist who decided they wanted it set up by disease category in terms of their ICD-9. Now, as coders, we would say, well, your diagnosis codes will put them in numerical order. That makes sense to us. But to physicians, disease processes are what is important to them. So making sure that it's developed well with the physician who's using it and in a way that makes sense to them, and it will be used much more effectively. Jane, talk to me a little bit about the, the fear of 214, 99214. Well, it used to be the fear of 99215. Right, 214 is the new 215. 214 is the new 215, exactly. However, the bottom line is this. When physicians are picking a level of service for what they want, you know, are asking to be paid for, it needs to be documented accurately in the note, and it needs to support the level of service you're asking to be paid for. So a 99214 typically would mean that this is a patient that has some moderate medical decision-making going on. And aside from the history and exam elements, typically that means two or more chronic medical conditions some prescription drug management, and of course these are generalizations. And what typically happens is physicians under-document and don't talk about all of the chronic conditions that may be stable that they are managing and checking in on at the time of the service. 
So in their heart and in their soul, they know it's a 99214. What if the doctor just wrote something at the end of the visit, moderate complexity medical decision-making, or MCMDM, or whatever the acronym is for that, that they may not have documented everything, but they had to think about it? You know, wouldn't it be nice if it was left up to the physician to make that decision? (laughs) Unfortunately, the criteria for what constitutes medical decision-making was created by CMS, And this criteria requires that the number of diagnoses be taken into consideration. The data or tests that are ordered or reviewed is also taken into consideration, along with the risk of the patient. So they need to see that more spelled out in that note. And that creates the burden on you as a physician to have to write more about this complicated situation when you know just in your mind from a gut level, this is moderate complexity. Right, or if someone is on death's door in my office and I need to stabilize them before getting them to the ER, you know, I may not have time to document everything that someone wants me to document to support the fact that this person is super sick. And I can't just write, this patient is going to croak if I don't do something quick. It's unbelievable to me that we have to jump through hoops to get paid for our jobs. I couldn't agree with you more. I'll give you a personal example. My dad had a cardiac event, and I also later had the privilege of educating the provider who happened to treat him. And I said to him, with all due honesty, if I was by the bedside when you were treating my father, would I encourage you to put a pen in your hand? No way. But here I am as a coding educator, and I'm helping to make sure that your documentation supports the level of service that you're billing for. And I have to tell you in all due consciousness that this is the right thing to do. So there is a little bit of an ethical disconnect, you know, even as a person who has received health care. So there is a huge disconnect. And now with even pay for performance coming out, we're just paid to check off lists. We're not paid to provide good care anymore. They call it performance, but I would call it mediocrity, averageness. Yeah, it does feel that way. I can, again, really empathize with the fact that you feel that way, and I I can't imagine that any other physician in your position would feel any differently. You know, if there, there was one bit of advice I could give to coders is to put yourself in the physician's shoes just for a moment and imagine, you know, that what it must feel like to have all of these burdens on you in addition to all of the documentation requirements and regulatory requirements. It definitely does take a team to figure this stuff out. Jane, do they have coders that work for the enemy that actually are working in the insurance companies and are are specifically saying, "Uh aha, they put the wrong code down, we're going to deny it? There's two answers to that, yes and no. The yes part of it is, yes, some people are professional coders. They become certified through the national organizations that certify coders. I've definitely made a conscious decision not to work on that side of the profession. My conscious effort is really in prevention, helping physicians understand, and also teaching and educating people to become excellent coders and and employ ethics and standards to the work that they do, and also to promote ethics and standards in the way that these code regulations are interpreted by payers. If there was any one thing that I would you know, feel like I'd like to make an impact on, that is getting everybody on the same page. But there are also people on the side of the payer who are looking at these claims and who are making decisions about whether or not payment was made adequately who are not certified coders. That frustrates me, and I'm sure you as well, 
endlessly because try to have a conversation with somebody when you're talking apples and they're talking orange. Even if we put down the exact proper code, there's someone interpreting that code that may not even understand the code. Interpreting the code and interpreting the guidelines for using it and applying it correctly, yeah. So that can be manipulated and there's so much gray area and room for interpretation. Jane, tell my listening audience how they can find you to save their lives. (laughs) To save their lives. Oh my gosh, I'm not sure I can take on that responsibility. But it would be a pleasure and an honor to help uh, people learn more about coding. My email address is codingeducation at comcast.net. Anybody that has questions about how to pursue a career in professional coding or needs consulting advice about how to make their practice work a little better from a coding perspective, I would be delighted to speak with. Well, Jane Tuttle, thank you again for coming on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. At ReachMD, we welcome your questions and comments at ReachMD.com, and we're now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. Check it out. 